Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian Football Cup podcast bringing you inside Serie A stadiums every single week. I am Connor Clancy, as always, messing up the introductions and joining me laughing, as always, is Kevin Pogazowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How are you? Um, I'm a bit curious. What's so funny, mate? I don't know. Just your uh, intro, as always. Uh, I don't know what's happened. They were They were absolutely spotless for... The guts of two and a half years recording live on YouTube. Before that, it didn't matter if they were good or not. Last month, since you've started becoming a regular, you've, you've put the shakes into me. I don't know how to handle myself around you, Kev. An intimidating presence. So I'll move swiftly on to a friendlier guest, Vito Doria. Vito, hello. Hi, Connor. I'm good. And uh, yeah, I can see that other than the intro muck-ups, uh, you'll be in more jovial spirits this week. Oh, I wonder why that could be, Peter, because we recorded the last podcast on a Saturday evening. Since then, Atalanta have played three times. They beat Napoli, they beat Fiorentina 3 to Coppa Italia final, and tonight they've beaten Udinese to move into the Champions League places. So it's hard to work out why I might be happy, but there you go. Um, where <laughs> shall we start? Right, I've, I've made the decision. I know the Derby d'Italia was this week, but I don't really care because... It's probably the least important Derby d'Italia that I can remember. So we're going to start with the Champions League race. And the big story, despite Atalanta moving into it, is the fact that Milan have properly fallen out of it. Not only that, but they've fallen out of the European places as a whole as well. They went away to Torino on Sunday evening. And quite predictably, Kev, they they were thumped 2-0. Yeah, Torino have been playing really well, but Milan have just completely fallen off a cliff in in recent weeks. Um, I said before we came on air, when they were grinding out results, that grit and determination they had was almost characteristics of Gattuso's playing 
days and now they've lost that what do they have because they've got these substandard attacking trio even Piontek's off the boil it, it just seems to be snowballing into an absolutely disastrous end to the campaign you asked quite a good question there which is something I was going to go to but Fino what do Milan actually have now other than Pakata and arguably Romagnoli what what is there Look, there are players that are good enough for Milan, in my view, and players that can make a difference. But I'm still convinced that one of the main problems is uh, Gattuso and his inability to make the most out of the squad that he has at his disposal. Uh, We've been uh, ranting about it for quite some time, but his fixation with Suzu and Chalkanoglu has been absolutely detrimental to AC Milan's hopes, and I think he's placed so much faith in them without getting proper rewards out of it. And because of that, I think uh, that means they'll probably miss out on the Champions League, maybe even Europe altogether. He needs to, you know, betrayal is a harsh word, but maybe just in this limited time, just say, that's enough. You deserve to be on the bench. You're not uh, lifting for this team. Well, as it stands, they are completely outside the European places, which seems absolutely crazy because when Piontek came in and was just scoring goals for absolute fun, as he had been for Genoa, it just looked like, okay, Milan's, Milan in fourth place. It's, it's done. Uh, then they beat Atalanta and it looked like that was even more the case. But Kev, it, it's really just going wrong again. And fingers are being pointed at Catuzzo now. Yeah, and I, I think I think there was always the signs there that it was going to go wrong because none of those victories were, were overly convincing. And and as Vito says, when you've got when you've got a team of a team without any real sort of star quality it's getting it's getting something you know greater than the sum of your parts out of the players there and 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 Gattuso hasn't been able to prove that he can do that and it's where the likes of Torino that beat them at the weekend you know man for man even against what we're calling i suppose a substandard uh, Milan Mazzari's got them got them playing as more of a unit you know i, I can't remember what the stat was or the exact number but i think Mazzari, I think Torino have conceded the least amount of goals since the turn of the year. You know, at least that's a basis to to challenge for, for European qualification. You can't come and throw something at us during the recording. That's mm-hmm. stat based. That's poor from you. I'm sure it's eleven goals. I'm, okay, I'm sure it's eleven goals since the turn of the year, which is the lowest of the Serie A sides. Which is pretty impressive, it must be said. And but this is what Mazzari does, right? He comes in, he Drills teams quite well defensively. Um, Vito, you've not always been the biggest advocate of his style, but it's working for them. No, I'm not the biggest fan, but more than anything, uh, my concern with him was more about what they were doing on the ball and with it. Uh, in this particular game, although Milan had a lot of the possession, Torino were much slicker on the ball. They were quick in transition and they were able to utilise the space. One of the hallmarks of Mazzari's team since he's been a Serie A coach is that they're a dangerous counter-attacking side. So even if they're not going to outpass the opposition, 
he has players that are going to hit on the break and they're going to create the goals and also finish them off. And now in the second half of the season, I think we're still seeing that defensive solidarity and the ability to nullify the opposition, but they're coming in with enough goals to produce the victories. And also we're not hearing Matsari whinging and moaning about referees because they are winning games. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing the difference that makes, right? Torino aren't losing, Masari's not moaning about referees. It's it's funny how that works out. But Alex Berenguer, Kev, I wanna I wanna give him a bit of love because every time I've seen Torino this season, he's been quite impressive. And he was again against Milan. The the Spaniard got himself on the score sheet and he's quite a, a hidden gem there. Yeah, because he had a he had a fairly unspectacular career before that at Osasuna from you know what well very little that I can remember but sort of if you look at you look at the game time he got there he is only 23 so maybe he's he's, he's a little bit of a, a later bloomer but then I think um, again when when we speak about the defensive solidity that Torino have got there it allows the attacking players to then have that freedom because they're not they're not second guessing that if they lose the ball you know, are they going to concede? Are they going to have to chase back for it? I think with the attack sort of mind-minded players like them being able to have that sort of solid base behind them allows them to go and do their thing. Well, if we're going to speak about the more defensive-minded players, which when we speak about Toro, I guess it's only right we do. Uh, Armando Itzo, he's mad. The guy is crazy. But, oh, my God, does he work well on that Torino team? He's, he must be an absolute nightmare to play against because he's not the cleanest of players. He's a bit of a, a Sergio Ramos light, I think, is probably a good way to describe him. And it just really, really works for him. He's, he won the penalty for Torino against Milan, which Balotti converted to give them the lead. And Vito, would Torino be as good if they didn't have Armando Izzo? Look, I reckon in uh, that case, the defence would probably be a bit weaker. But also, I think they would be missing a couple goals because he has chipped in with some goals this season. And even if he doesn't score directly, just his presence at set pieces, I think he's, with his height, it it just throws off the opposition. So if uh, Torino have a corner or free kick and it's, indirect or they decide to go indirect, just having him there is very important for the Granata. Going back to his defensive game, I think he makes a big difference to that defence. And uh, he's not bad on the ball because even when he was playing for Genoa, the dark side, um, he was uh, he was still decent on the ball, but he made a few, he would make a few errors. I think now, being 27 years old, he's... Uh, Matured, and I think under Mazzari's defensive game has got even better. Vito, can you ever mention Genoa without getting a little dig in? Every <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Never change. Never change. But the, the partnership he's struck up there with um, Nicolas and Kulu is quite impressive. And Kulu often gets the, the credit, which is quite understandable because he's phenomenal for them. But I think it so deserves a little bit of love. In front of them, then, Kev, we've got, um, I'm sorry, Sualio Meite. I don't know how to say his name. I don't think I ever will. But he's been 
one of the best players in Serie A this season. Yeah, and you just it's just it's just strange, isn't it? I just don't know where where Matsari's got this from. You know, I, I don't know if he's sort of been instilling this uh, this sense of belief in these players. Um, Does he strike you as the type, Matsari? Matsari, to... no, not really. Um, almost a rule by an iron fist type of type of coach rather than arm round the shoulder. But, you know, you look at um, the fullback. I'm trying to now think. No, well, the playing wing back, the um, the oh. young man on loan from Chelsea. Oh, I know. Friend of FIF, mate. Come on, we've interviewed him about three yeah, times. Yeah, well, it's the pronunciation that I was struggling with. <laughs> but I, I could tell you how to spell it. Um, but yeah, you know, that's the sort of environment where you would think Matt Sari would maybe be a little bit daunting for a young player going in there in another country. But, you know, he's had a phenomenal season. Yeah, so he's, he has. He, he's, he's actually he's, attracting interest from basically everyone. Both Milan yeah. and So his methods clearly allow these players the freedom to to go out and maybe up their game. Which is not something I ever thought I would heard would have heard said about Walter Mazzari. But, wow, Armando Itzo is getting some serious love in the comments. Um, John Daniel has come in and said, Itzo is a less athletic version of Cannavaro. He has the same anticipation and is great on the ball. I can only imagine that you mean Paolo and not Fabio Cannavaro because that seems a little bit of a stretch. But this guy is a Torino fan, which I guess we'll let him romanticize his view of Itzo if he wants to. He's also said that Matsari is doing all of this without Iago Falke, which is quite a good point because his his omission of Falke from the start of the season, from before the season started, always struck me as quite strange because Falke is a fantastic footballer when he's allowed to play. And you would expect that Torino achieving success without a player of Falke's caliber would be even more difficult, but it's it's just working out really, really nicely for them. Anyway, he's also said that Thomas Rincon has been their best midfielder and he joined them from the, the dark side of Turin, Vito, but it's a fair point. Thomas Rincon has found himself quite nicely since going from one dark side to another dark side and now to Torino. Yeah, that's right. What I like about Rincon is that he's that fighter in midfield. He has that work ethic, stamina and determination. But also with him, he's another guy that's probably chipped in with a few, actually some nice strikes here and there too. So uh, for many years, whether it be with Juve, Genoa, or even when he was playing in Germany for Hamburg, to me he was just that ball winner and that was it. Now... I wouldn't say he's a complete midfielder or a true box-to-box type, but at least he's got that extra attribute to his game. So I think while he does his job, it's always good to see players add a little bit more to their game, and I reckon Rincon has done that. The derby's next week, the Derby della Mole, obviously. Kev, do you give them a chance? If it had been away from the uh, Juventus Stadium... Well, the Allianz uh, Stadium, then I would. But I just fear that after a relatively poor poor showing against Inter this weekend, that Juve will steamroll them a little and it could 
derail Torino's challenge for Champions League football. Do you think Juve care? Because I can't see them being all that motivated. I, I think they haven't cared for a number of weeks, but as it as the weeks go on, I think losing face, um, I think professional pride might finally kick in for the you know, last few outings of the campaign, particularly when there's local pride at stake. Ah, local pride. Yeah, it's a it's a funny old thing, especially in the city of Turin where everyone supports Torino. But anyway, um, Cristiano Ronaldo wants to win that, or more so, he doesn't care. He just wants to score goals because he's desperate to win the Cup of Cannonieri, which he probably won't do now, but we'll come on to reasons for why that is a little bit later. Um, okay. Is that enough on Torino? I think, I think so. so. I think so. Um, so... Torino are now in the Europa League places, three points off the current occupiers of the fourth and final Champions League place, who are Atalanta, because my God, my God, what a week for the Bergamaschi. And they're fourth. They're they're holding down fourth place alone, Kev. They're not sharing it with anyone or missing out on head-to-head this time. They are fourth. They are in the Champions League places with four games left. And remember how despondent you were last week, worrying about the Monday, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, but even now, it's it's easy to underestimate Gasparini's powers, and he's proven me wrong again. I'm trying to I'm trying to debate whether last Monday's victory over Napoli was as was more crucial than tonight finally being able to break Udinese down because after the nil-nil with um, Spau the other week was it? Empoli. Yeah, Empoli. Um, and, the, you know, the goalkeeper pulled off a couple of great saves tonight. You just thought, are they going to do it again? Um, well, I've you know, been but- saying, sorry, but I've been saying this for a while now. It's, when Atalanta play a big team, I've no worries because I know the players will take chances when they come and they will give everything. It's when they play teams like Udinese, like Empoli, like Chievo, like Cagliari, that I think, ah, this is going to be a problem. So I think tonight's game was actually a bigger win, strangely enough, because Udinese have been a bit of a bogey team for Atalanta in recent seasons. Uh, Whereas against Napoli, they've not won the last few, but they've picked up a few wins against them in recent years. I think when DePaul hits the post before Atalanta take the lead, you kind of just get that you know, get that feeling that it might be their time. Yeah, it's one of those. that It, it was the last game in front of the um, Curva Nord, Curva Pisani as well, so it was quite nice for them to get the, the win. But yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Maybe that's us saying it now after the event, though. Who knows? But uh, this is just, it's unbelievable, Vito. I don't really know what to say. Because the, I know they finished fourth two seasons ago, but it doesn't feel like it because it wasn't rewarded with Champions League football because Serie A only had three places that season, which was frustratingly the last season of that being the case. But Atalanta in the Champions League, is it going to happen? I reckon it's a great possibility. And the main reason for that is... I believe Atalanta have a clear style of play, which they've become used to over the last nearly three years now, and I think that's beneficial. Although teams like Inter, 
Milan and even Rome are probably have better squads on paper, but Atalanta are definitely better as a whole than the sum of the parts. Whereas the other teams I just mentioned, uh, they're still struggling with their own playing identity. And I'm sure off the pitch, the issues are filtering through to the locker room one way or another. Whereas Atalanta, even on the off the pitch, they're looking pretty good themselves. Well, what I thought was quite impressive about this was there was no Josip Ilicic, the grandmother of Bergamo. He wasn't playing. And they, they still won. 2-0. I know it took a penalty to, to make the breakthrough in the end, but still got the three points. And a soft penalty. Uh, do you think? Uh, I only saw a couple of replays, but... Um... Andrea Mabiello does not go down unless he is shot. That's an outrageous claim. No, yeah, he made it. He made it look like he was shot, but um, yeah, there was. <laughs> yeah, I think I, he made. The I most won't of it. have Andrea Mabiello's moral fiber question on this podcast. He has never been anything other than a complete professional throughout his playing career. I can't think mm. of any examples of any incidents where he has been anything other than a complete professional. Maybe we should dig some up post post pod if we can find any. <laughs> Don't do that because if people Google it, <laughs> they will lose all respect <laughs> for the man. Um, but Maziello, I really the the year Atalanta qualified for the Europa League, which was amazing. He almost started a new phase of his career because everything before Atalanta was obviously. Um, quickly forgotten or tired because of what he did. And since then, he's been incredible. And if you didn't know and you watched Maziello play for Atalanta every single week, and then someone told you that, all right, one of these Atalanta players has been done for deliberately scoring an on goal before, Maziello's probably the last player you would expect because he just, he never stops. He's an absolute warrior. There's a big... Um, one of the fans is a banner for him in, in the Curva Nord. It's like Maziello the wall or something. And he loves it. He does over to them every game. But he's, he's been so impressive. And it, it makes it more bizarre that he did what he did a few years ago. It was that great clearance off the line last week. Oh, I tweeted the picture of this. If Atalanta get the Champions League, this is going to be an iconic moment. Because Golini had given up on it. The, yeah, it, it didn't look like Maziello was going to get there. No, well, he shouldn't have got there because Maziello's not a fast player either. But for those who didn't see it, Arik Milik dinked one over um, Golini and Maziello started about 10 yards behind the ball but managed to get back and hook it off the line just as, I'd say, what, 70% of the ball had already crossed the line? Oh, yeah, huge proportion. Ridiculous. Like, basically, that goal that City had the other day um, in the Premier League, it was Oh, it was so, so close to being that. But that was that 1-0 Napoli as well. So for, for that to happen when it did was absolutely huge. And he's, he's not scoring as many goals as he has in previous seasons, but he's still so, so important. Another player who doesn't score many goals, but is incredibly important. And his amazing value on social media, Fido, is Martin Darun. He's maybe not the type of player that you like all that much because he's, he's hard, he's He's not the most technically gifted. He can pass the ball, but he's not technically the strongest. But Atalanta wouldn't be fourth if they didn't have him. Well, he does the 
you the hard work in the midfield and uh, yeah, he is that uh, crucial ball winner that uh, Atalanta need because most of the other guys do more they are more technical and also you got someone like uh, Rema Freuler um he will do the hard work as well but he knows how to make those attacking runs but uh, Darun well, he stepped up to take the penalty, and it was a good strike from, uh, you know, 11 metres. And uh, in the first semi-final there for the Coppi Tully, he did score with that great rocket of a shot. So, um, yeah, it's good uh, that he does his throw, and yeah, even if he chips in with a goal here and there, it's nice. But Atalanta in general, I think one of the things that's great about them under Gasparini is that although you've got Papu Gomez, you have uh, Dovan Zapata, the other players can contribute with goals anyway. And it, I think it's important these days to have that even spread, not just to rely on one or two critical goal scorers. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And you see the fullbacks contributing so, so often this season, which was one of the keys in their last fourth place finishing season um, with Andrea Conti getting. I think it was seven that season, and Mattia Caldara getting similar figures. We have a question from Atsuri5542. Good name. Um, Kev, if Atalanta finished fourth, they fully deserved it. But do you think they have the resources to make a decent run, assuming means in Europe, and not crash in Serie A? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I don't know how far they would progress in the in the Champions League. They they clearly be in the fourth pot, and they you know it's it's entirely down to the luck of the draw as to who you, who you get, um, you know, take for instance, into were fourth seed this year and got an extremely tough draw, although they should have made better of it. Um, but no, I think, uh, it's a bit different as to when they started in the Europa league and, you know, you start so early, you know, now, now qualifying for the champions league, there's not even a pre-qualifier for, Syria side, so well, there's no qualification at all. It's straight. No, so they sh- they sh- they should. I would expect them to manage. It's it's six, it's six games. I think they would they would manage okay with that. And you're not going to really, well, again, depending on the draw, you're not going to really far flung places like you sometimes get with the Europa League. I think I think they'd be fine. And actually, the how strong they are at home, I think could even help carry them through to the um, the last sixteen, which won't won't then come around until February. What I would like about Atalanta being in Europe, and this is removing my my colours now, would be, you know, they would do everything they they possibly could to qualify. They would they wouldn't just show up. They would fancy themselves to cause a few upsets and to try and get out of the group. And even if they came up short and got into the Europa League, they'd still be delighted to be in the knockout rounds of the Europa League. But you wouldn't get this. You can't imagine them being afraid of anyone. They just go for it. When they played, who did they play? Leon, Dortmund, and Everton. They just went at them. And in the last few few minutes against Dortmund, they kind of just went wrong. But that seemed more down to fatigue than anything else. But it's it's easy to forget as well because they've been impressing for so many seasons, and because they were in Europe. Um, when did they play in the Europa League last season? And then they should have been in it this year, but the the penalty shootout defeat in qualification. Atalanta have the 14th biggest wage in Serie A. 14th. It's 
ridiculous. I think teams like Sassuolo pay more on wages than Atalanta do, but they just keep getting results. And Vito, it points towards the genius Giampiero Gasparini's management. It shows that he has that style of play that really elevates the quality of the players. And even the more experienced players have improved under him. So Marcello, as you mentioned earlier, and Papu Gomez, although he was a good player at Catania, uh, he has really become a leader at Atalanta. And yeah, just his skill set, I think, has improved as well. It's not just that. I'm not saying he was technically uh, poor at Catania, but just his Atalanta version has just gone up so many levels. And also, yeah, just the way Zapata has improved this season. Uh, who would have thought he would have produced such numbers? So I think that's where Gasparini deserves enormous credit for really getting the best out of these players. And I think his football philosophy is uh, crucial to that. There's not one player at Atalanta that hasn't improved under Gasparini. Um, if you look at that squad now, every single one of them, Golini is amazing now compared to what he was two months ago. All of the defenders, we've spoken about Maziello. Um, whatever defender comes in, Gianluca Mancini, incredible. Uh, but Jose Luis Palomino has been so, so good this season. And when he arrived, he was very, very shaky. He can still be a little bit headless at times, but he's... He's really good now. Hans Hattabor, I criticised him so much last season, but now I wouldn't have anyone in the team ahead of him because he just he knows what he's doing and he does it perfectly. Remo Freuler, Martin Darun, Timothy Castagna, Robin Gosens, Josip Bilicic, a player who performed twice a season at every other club. Now he gives elite performances maybe 20 times a season and he's huge and they've got the new the new batch of kids ready to come in as well. Roberto Piccoli played tonight. He's played a couple of times and he looks like he's going to be um, maybe even succeeding Muzabaro as the first choice alternative to Duvan Zapata for at least the next four games. He'll probably end up on loan somewhere else next season or whatever. But if they got to the Champions League, do you think they'd have enough about them to attract a bigger brand of player. And if they could do that, should they? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you've answered answers for me. I don't think they should. I think, you know, I I think they would struggle to attract, if you like a big name rather than better players, because I think that's the toss up, you know, is a big name necessarily a better player. And if it upsets the equilibrium that they've got there within the squad. And I think, also, the benefit would be that maybe there aren't any. I was going to use the word "not outstanding" players. You know, they are outstanding individually and as a team, but there's nobody that really strikes you as, you know, Inter are going to come in and just throw money at to, you know, to take them away. And I think that's that's the strength that, that Atalanta would have if, have if they qualified next year. That the I would imagine. 95% of the players will still be there next season. And then you do do have a bit of an issue if you bring in someone on a, on a large wage. Yeah, well, we have actually seen it this season. You know, Emiliano Regoni came in and didn't get much of a look in and soon moved back to Zena. 
I thought, in a way, it was a bit of a pity because he did start off well by scoring two goals against Roma in that 3-3 draw early in the season. But I think after that surprising elimination to Copenhagen in the qualifying rounds, it seemed that there wasn't much need for him. So eventually Gus Barini phased him out. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was about it. And he had to leave Atalanta. So... Um, with uh, qualifying to the Champions League being direct now, they don't have to go through a playoff. Perhaps they could entice someone to come there, but um, at the same time, it's got to be worthwhile for that player. And also, you wouldn't want that player to necessarily break the dynamic that Atalanta has. You'd like to think this uh, extra player wouldn't be there to sort of stifle Papu, Ilicic or Zapata that player needs to be adding something to that team. So it uh, takes the pressure off those guys. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone out here the other day about Gareth Bale and his situation at Real Madrid. And jokingly, they said, oh, Atalanta should have a go at him. And jokingly, we spoke, like, obviously that would never happen. But honestly, I don't think I'd have him. I really don't think I'd have him. I think he'd just ruin it. A player like that coming into that situation would just completely spoil what they've got in the dressing room and on the pitch. And I just think keep these players together if it's at all possible. Zapata, I think, would probably go. Especially if Atalanta don't get the Champions League. I just think someone will come in with 40 million for him. And obviously that's too too good an offer to turn down. But anyway, guys, Basta, enough with Atalanta. We'll we'll spoil it. We'll move on. Um we've got Roma three Cagliari nil. Justin Clivert, you got another start, got another assist. Vito, he's he's doing bits. It's good to see that he's uh, contributing. Now, I found it rather bizarre in the later stages of Di Francesco's coaching career with Roma that he was persisting with the idea of Zaniolo playing wide, which I don't think really suits his characteristics. And Cliver is a natural winger, so I think it's good that Ranieri has been able to utilise him. And even though there's only a few games left, it'd be good if he can keep it up for the remainder of the season. And then whoever takes over for 2019-2020 can find some use for Clover because he has the pace and, uh, and he has the ball control. But uh, I think he just needs a coach that's going to make him you know, less raw and more polished so he can be more consistent and more decisive in matches. I think that is it, right? And that only comes with more game time, though. I think it was, was it in the derby when Lazio smashed them? And Clivert sat on the bench for the whole 90 minutes. And I, I thought the game was just calling out for someone like him who could do something quite unpredictable, quite on a whim. And he just got left on the bench, which was quite strange. But anyway, Kev, Pastore, he's not been very good. The season he was booed and whistled before the game, as Alistair McKenzie, who was there for us, described on um, on the website on our Facebook page. You can go and watch his post match video. But he started to win people over a little bit there. Yeah, I saw that he was um, he he got booed when he was announced, and he got applauded off after his performance. I'm I'm a bit of a fan of Pastore. I, I already always have been, largely for what he did at, at Palermo. And all the time he was at PSG, he was one of those players that I, I always thought someone should go for because 
PSG were probably trying to get him off the wage bill and that he'd but he he's kind of just merged into the general malaise at Roma this year with Is he not the most Roma player ever though? Like he's got this ability in there somewhere, but so often he just doesn't show up. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm not sure if, if sometimes he wants to be the the big fish in a small pond. Um, maybe that's the type of player that Atalanta would Don't. go for to add <laughs> some depth, Connor. Um, but yeah, he, he has been disappointing, but so many people at Roma are, I think it's, it's harsh for the fans to sort of single him out because at, at times he's been a little bit left on the bench like Cliver. Yeah. I don't know. I feel with Cliver, I just feel there's that, the element of the unknown with them. And it's it could be as much of a negative as a positive because you don't know what he's going to do. He might not know what he's going to do. But with Pastore, I don't think there's anything we don't know about him. Now, we, we've seen him for long enough. We know what he does. We know his shortcomings. We know what he's good at. And he's not improved on his shortcomings enough while when, he was away at PSG. But when Roma have struggled, do you not think that there's an element of you, you give a player confidence by just saying you know well you're gonna have a run of games you know we're gonna you know show what you can do if you're getting if you're in and out of the side all the time it's it's a it's a little difficult if you're a player that that thrives off of the confidence of your coach i don't know if you ever had that with di francesco i think it does come down to the player's character as well i I, i've never seen javier pastore as being someone who would say okay, I've got an opportunity and I'm going to grab it and make sure I take mm-hmm. full control of it. Um, maybe that's just me putting that onto him, but I don't know. I've, I've never been quite convinced by his, his attitude. Well, that's, maybe that's what a lot of people have wanted from him and expected from him because of his his age and his experience and he's never going to deliver it. I don't think his, his ability can be questioned though, but... I think it's similar to the Josip Bilicic thing at all of his other clubs. He's got incredible ability, but you don't see it enough. And I think that's more frustrating than someone with limited ability who tries really hard. Like Martin Darun, for example, is loved because he just does everything he possibly can, even tries things he can't do, whereas Pastore maybe doesn't try quite as hard as he should. Um, And maybe they'd like him a little bit more if he did. But Roma have, they've quietly, I don't want to say they've turned things around because I'm still not convinced they have. And I know they've not lost for a while now, but they're still a little bit unconvincing, Vito. That's true. With the thing with uh, intra-managers is that they can turn things around, but ultimately they're just band-aid solutions. I do like Ranieri as a coach because he is that guy that, he can come in and provide that quick fix and he wants his teams to be working hard and be solid in the organisation, but obviously it's not a long-term fix. And with uh, Roma, I still believe it's either a cultural mentality issue that they are a team that are excellent on the day, but there's certain games where they just they fall apart. In this particular game, they play Coyote, and a lot of the possession was rather meaningless. 
So for Roma to capitalise on that, I think it was more of a reflection of how good these players are when they are played in adequate positions and uh, they have a clear understanding of their roles. But uh, unfortunately, this sort of stuff is not sustainable for Roma for 38 games in a season, which is a shame for them and a shame for their fans. Well, someone who has a clear understanding of his role across the city is Felipe Caicedo at Lazio. He got another couple of goals. They beat Sampdoria 2-1. Um, it was a big win for them, Kev. And Caicedo scored again. His goals to minutes ratio is very, very impressive this season. But I still don't think he's very good, and I can't really work out why he's scoring. No, I think it's just a case of a player having a little bit of a purple patch. He, you know, he's 30 years old now. You look at his, his goal-scoring average across his career. Um, mind you, I looked at it at games. You you mentioned about the minutes. But, you know, it's still, it's still pretty poor. Um, he'll probably... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Be doing exactly what he was doing last season, next year. It, it's a different option for them, I suppose, in a way. But he's not gonna he's not gonna suddenly start pulling up trees at thirty years old. Vito, you shook your head when I said I didn't think he was very good. Well, actually, that's because I agree, because I don't think he is that good. He is, uh, he is physically stronger than Immobile, and look, he can chip in with goals here and there. But the thing that really made me shake my head there was more the first goal and the brain fade Omar Colley had. Sampdoria are known to play out from the back, and Colley has had a good season. But I think it was his inability to find a passing option, whether it be in front of him, to his sides, or backwards. And 
that resulted in uh, Kaisedo disposing the ball and just pretty much having a free run. And then when Colley tried to tackle Kaisedo, he just fell over himself and he looked like an easy stroll into the goal. So, yeah, uh, you can admire Kaisedo for his persistence, but I just thought Colley um, was really bad in that moment and it was like he just threw the towel away just instantly, basically. I'm surprised you said Collie's had a good season, um, Vito, because I saw him live last week at Bologna, and I've not I've not seen much of Sampdoria this year. He was their worst player by far. He was he kept getting caught on the ball. He was negative because he didn't want to sort of. He was almost doubting his own ability to pass the ball forwards, and was just going back to the centre halves all the time. He, he just. He just really shone as a really, really poor part of that Sampdoria side last weekend. I think he's had some games where he has been a bit uh, erratic or even though that he's around 26 or 27 years old, that he can still a bit look a bit raw. Not only that, uh, with Joachim Anderson out of the team for this game, he he has been Sampdoria's best defender and... Uh, He's usually a very clean and very shrewd player as well. So uh, Anderson's uh, presence is critical in that defence. Whereas with uh, Colley, uh, I think it's more that being in his first year in Serie A, unfortunately he's going to make those kind of uh, mistakes. And it's a bit of a shame that he gave away that goal against Lazio because uh, he has had games where he's looked better than Lorenzo Tonelli, who did take his place after about 15 or 16 minutes against uh, Aquile. And uh, there are times where he can use his uh, uh, physical strength to his advantage and where his ball use isn't actually that bad. To the other side of this, Lazio, it was a big win for them. But um, if we're going to talk about Lazio at the moment, sadly, predictably infuriatingly. Uh, it's not the football that's of any interest, really, Kev, is it? Because their fans were up to um, no good again since we last spoke. They went to the San Siro and surprise, surprise, they aimed some racist chance at Timmy Bakayoko and Frank Kessie. And it just, they never cease to amaze, do they? No, well, they never cease to amaze. And I'm not sure if this is, breaking news that is coming out now, but I have a a, a famous uh, sports broadcaster's news channel on in front of me, and I've just been reading that Lazio will not be getting a stadium ban. Yeah, it's a suspended sentence. A suspend- How do you give them a suspended sentence? That's Because they have such a clean record, Kev. They've never done anything. Yeah, you know, and that's as disappointing as the level of, of the atrocious events last year. Wednesday. What's most atrocious about it is, are you in any way surprised that they've not been punished properly for this? Well, oddly, I, I kind of expected to read that, that they were going to get a partial closure. And obviously it was the travelling fans this time, but, they, but to say that they get us, you know, it's if they do it again. It's, this isn't a first offence. No, it's not the first offence this week. They... They were doing this earlier in the week. Earlier that day, they were doing things in the centre of Milan. It's unbelievable. But it's not 
it's so painfully and utterly predictable that but it's like they're baiting it's like they're baiting the Italian Football Federation to say go on we dare you we know how weak and pitiful you are in standing up to these sort of actions and it's almost it's almost less about well no I shouldn't say it's less about the uh, the, the racial abuse of the individuals that they're aiming aiming it at but they are also making a point of we know we can get it, you know, we know we can do this and very few people will bat an eyelid at the the punishment or punishment in inverted commas. That Lazio came out after the game and released a, an absolutely pathetic statement saying, oh, the club would like to distance ourselves from the, the actions of a minority of supporters. Dov was at the game. It was every... It was the whole away support. He posted a video after the game of them all leaving. They were all singing it. This was not a minority. Lazio's ultras do this. There's no two ways about it. Everybody knows what Lazio's ultras are, what they do. And there's absolutely no punishment for it. They, it's happened so many times now that I don't think it would be too much to say they should just be thrown out of the Coppa Italia, put Milan in the final, completely punish Lazio, because they're not going to stop with these suspended punishments. Um, even if they did close the stadium, it doesn't stop anything. Because no, that, that is exactly what they should have done. They should have, they should have thrown them out of the competition, regardless of it being at the semi-final stage. You know, because at the end of the day, there would have been, well, yeah, there's the potential for trouble because the final is going to be held in their stadium. So what? Play it somewhere else. Take so there's the, you know... What better way to say, look, we're throwing, tossing you out of this competition and you can sit there in your houses and you can watch this final going going on. But let's face it, has been dominated by Juventus in the last few years. So it's finally a chance for somebody else to, you know, to pick up a domestic trophy. And we'll say, nope, see you later. Mm. I, I do think if it, was, if it was in Rome and they were thrown out of it, the game would never go ahead because... There yeah. will be riots, but I don't care. Take it to Bari, play it in Milan. There's enough stadiums around the place. Um, mm. Play it somewhere else. Take it out of Italy. Who cares? Just it's. I'm actually getting sick of talking about this because this isn't the first time we've had to speak about this in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but on the topic, let's give back Ioko some credit, Vito. Because he's come out of this looking like an absolute saint. The way he's handled this has been so admirable. Yeah, I think it's a reflection of who he is as a person. Um, If we were just to speak in general, he has uh, copped his fair share of uh, racial abuse since being at Milan. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, he's also shown that, uh, you know, I'm sure he's offended by all the comments and the chants, but he's gone on and played football and let the football do the talking. So uh, I, I really admire that in a player that uh, all these uh, opposition supporters can try and run him down just because of his skin colour and his race, but he shows what makes him special, what makes him a valuable footballer. And he has, after a poor start, become one of uh, AC Milan's assets on the pitch. So I think uh, good on him for putting in the performances that he does and showing 
that there's more to him than just his appearance. He is there to play football, and ultimately that's what should matter the most. I think, I think his character has just has been so clearly shown. And he is such an incredibly thick-skinned person. Uh, an incredible character. To not only play on, but to just keep going about his business. And I've never wanted an individual player to score more than I did when he was... I would have loved nothing more than for him to pop up with two goals to knock Lazio out. And just... Because they would have hated that so, so much. If him and... I don't know, him and Cassie both scored, it would have been incredible. And I do really hope the next time they play each other, he absolutely pumps them because I have a lot of time for Bakayoko, even more now after everything he's put up with recently. But uh, to something more positive about the the Samp Samp uh, Lazio game, Kev, your mate Fabio Quagliarella got another got another milestone goal. He's all right, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's. Uh, <laughs> I think he's going to be Capun Canieri. Um, is he allowed though? Because he's old. Uh, yes, of course he's allowed. Oh, I thought um, that might stop him from winning that because he's over the age of thirty-five. I've got nothing. I've 36. got nothing wrong with people my age. You're not thirty-six, mate. Well, only just. <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> I'm certainly not as young and sprightly as uh, Quagliarella. <laughs> but. Um, don't think You're just concerned he won't have that next season, that form. I think that's what you touched upon in the past, that if uh, he does not have this great run next season, that uh, it'd be risky for Italy to take him to Euro 2020, assuming that the Azzurri qualify. What are you worried about? He gets better every season. He was he had his I'll best ever so. season last year. He, he had his he best won't. ever season this season. So next season, he's going to score 35 goals. He's not going to score more goals next year. <laughs> Why not? You, everyone said this last year. No, I, I, I don't even think. Oh, wait, there, I'm realizing. You're telling Roger Miller. I was about to say, I don't <laughs> think Stamp will have the season they've had this year. Well, Stamp are just doing their usual thing impress until a certain point and then stop Full playing. Um, which must be maddening for, for you, Vito. But anyway, it let's is. not do that. Let's not do that now. You'll, you can do that next week. But because we, we do have to talk about the Derby Italia, sadly. Um, am I alone in not caring about this game, Kev? I must admit, I didn't give it much of a look, <laughs> partly because I kind of have Inter Downers qualifying for the Champions League. You may have wrapped up the league. Um, I, I kind of thought that both sides would have given it a little bit more intensity. I suppose, I suppose Inter did for the first half. But I like a lot Inter of should have won more convincingly. Or they should, should have won it all. Yeah. I, I, like lots of these games, just for the regard, going back to the sort of the interest in it, they kind of get hyped up and then fail to deliver. Yeah, but this this only looked like it was going to be interesting when Juve might have gone and won the league there, but they they took care of it a week earlier. But yeah, I don't care. But Rajan Angelan scored a good goal. Well, I don't think he did. His volley was, was he did well to get that volley on target. But there's no way on earth that should be beating Chesney Vito. Uh, I'm probably not going to be that negative. I was happy with Mike. But uh, more than anything, 
Nainggolan knows how to put power on on his shots. So uh, for Nainggolan to shock it like he did, um, I was impressed with it. And I suppose because it's Chesney, you'd think he does make the odd error, more so when he was back at Arsenal. So I suppose that's why uh, beating Chesney is probably not as prestigious as beating other goalkeepers. The one downside I'd probably say was when Nainggolan hit that, there was a bit of a swerve on the ball. And like I said earlier, I can picture Nongolan putting the power in that shot, but the additional swerve, I think that's just more the physics of modern footballs causing it to swerve like it did than on any superb technique on Nongolan's part. Mm, I think I, I was harsh on Chesney. You've been a little bit harsh on Nongolan. Kev, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored his 600th career goal. Yay. Good for him. Yeah, do I, do I care about that less than you care about the uh, Derby Italian? Yeah, but I care about it even less. So okay. Cristiano Ronaldo will be disappointed if he knows that no one cares. Uh, let's talk about the off-field stuff here as well, because Inter Inter fans did funnies. Did you see this? They did a big, um, what was it? Oops, you did it again, which was like the preface of what was to come, which I thought was very, very yeah. good. And then it was a game over thing, which I think was an imitation of something Milan had done a few years previously. But basically, all of the Inter fans were just taking the, the piss out of Juve for losing in the Champions League, which, funny as it was, I thought was a little bit sad, Kev, given that how their Champions League campaign ended this year and how they used to win Champions Leagues themselves and now they're celebrating Juve not doing it. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the the fan choreography is one of the wonderful things about Italian football that, you know, certainly we don't see over here in um in England too much. But when you are when when it's based on the failings of others and you've not been particularly successful yourself, I I'd have cringed at that, I think, if I'd been an Inter fan. Um you know, you saw the smiling faces of the um the fans that were holding up the the Ajax power, yeah, Ajax yeah, and I, I just don't know. There's a little bit of me that has gone, yeah. Let's not let's not sort of throw stones, <laughs> um, you know. Oh, no, like, there's no guys, people in glass remember houses. when we played that other Dutch team and managed to not win and ruin our well, own oh, Champions God, League? God, I hadn't even thought about that actually. That it was another Dutch side as well. One that's not as good. Far too, uh, far too close to home for people to be making those uh, types of. Um... Yeah, it's it was it was quite strange. But anyway, let's let's take things even further away from the pitch. Talking about Inter, shall we? Mario Cardi's at his best on social media. Vito, have you seen his his sexy Instagram posts? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> This is a reflection of the modern world. This is the 21st century. And people just do bizarre things with social media. Um, It's easy to criticise, but... It's easy to criticise, but come on. Uh, Yeah. Not my thing. Kev, do you know what Instagram is? I've got Instagram. Thank you, Connor. I'm currently looking at for Mario (laughs) Cardi. Right, give us a running commentary then if you're just looking at that. Uh, what have we got? Oh, so we've got a bit of breast on his uh, on his abdomen. Oh, before you want to see the breast on the abdomen, you have to go to, I think it's two or three posts before that, where they're in the back of a car. 
I was about to say, because the one before that is him cuddling a child on a sofa. <laughs> Already plays that. <laughs> okay, so he looks like he looks like he looks like a young man, very fearful of his first driving uh, lesson, with some uh, sultry older lady um, not giving him the driving attention that she should be. Okay, and now go to the next one where they're in the back of the car. Oh, they've moved to the back because they, they clearly parked up for some dogging. Uh, and he's he's oddly enough he's he's putting he's putting an index finger to her mouth which um, um, yeah but go closer he's pressing it against her nose What's oh okay doing? I was about to say because if he was making her tr- be quiet then I think that's probably a, a sentiment it's a few, that months, it's a few months too late that one uh, yeah 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 a, 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 a millimeter millime- down and uh, he's picking her nose for her but yeah. um, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. But they get out of the car next and they're just standing in a an underground car park. And, yeah. And then she puts her breasts on his abdomen. Oh, in, I think they've moved home there though, haven't they? Because I think they, he's on a kitchen table. They're somewhere else. They're yeah. somewhere else. And then I don't know what's happening in the latest one. But yeah, head over to Mario Cardi's Instagram account. It's it can be funny for all the wrong reasons at yeah. times. But He's a good follow. Um, anyway, where was I this weekend? I was at Bologna. Uh, this right, relegation sorted. The only thing Serie A has left is the Champions League places because Bologna pumped Empoli 3-1. Uh, they went 1-0 down. They didn't deserve to. Came back, one. Job done. Bologna safe. Empoli are in big, 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 big trouble, Vito. Is this them gone? Look, it's very likely now. And also looking at the draw that Empoli have now... It's going to be even tougher because they haven't been able to pick up enough points against relegation rivals. Not only that, uh, Bologna really deserved their win and uh, similar to the Sump game, I think they could have scored more than the three goals too. So Malovic um, has really steered them clear to safety, given uh, the Felsene a playing identity. And I, to be honest, I'm looking forward to seeing Bologna next season. I think Mahalovic is... Well, obviously, he's done a better job than Inzaghi, which is probably not that hard, but I think he'll do a lot better than what Roberto Donadoni did. Yeah, I kind of echo what you say. I've seen Bologna a few times this year, and under Inzaghi, I'm not exaggerating to say, I think they were the worst football team I've ever seen every single time. They were horrendous. But now under Mahalovic, they've got something about them. Ricardo Orsolini. Oh, my God. He was horrible on Saturday. Horrible. He he was a, basically a 12th player for Empoli because he was giving the ball away. He was missing easy chances. He was giving Empoli chances. And then he got the winner. And it was amazing. He thumped one in from the edge of the box. But Mihailovic looked like he wanted to murder him at times. I was surprised he stayed on the pitch. Um, the Bologna fans were ready to kill him as well. And I was really, really worried for his safety leaving that pitch <laughs> until he did that goal. And I'm happy for him because I want to see him do well. But he has a lot of creases in his game that he needs to iron out, especially under Mihailovic, or else he, his legs won't function for too much longer. But uh, yeah, Nicolas Sansone was also good. But head over to FootballDallianFootball.com and read my uh, match report and post-match analysis to hear more about that and I did the video where I basically just sat in the Dallara criticising R- Riccardo Orsolini 
for a few minutes, which I felt quite mean doing, but he deserved it. I was also yeah. at Spal Genoa, which finished one each in a game that should have been important, but wasn't because of the game I was at the day before. This was fine. Both teams probably happy with a win. Spal deserved it a little bit more. Um, not really too much to say there. Frozenone nil Napoli two, Chieva one, Parma one, Fiorentina nil Sassuolo one. Kev, why don't Fiorentina ever win at home? I have no idea. The problem is, is that they're not really winning away from home. Oh, they're just not very good, are they? No, no, they have, they have. You know, Sassuolo jumped over them today. Which says a lot because Sassuolo, I was talking about them potentially getting relegated. Yeah, because they've been they've been erratic this season, but Fiorentina is sitting in twelfth, and you know I wasn't particularly positive about them bringing Montella in. They really need some direction. If you look at the table, Fiorentina are on forty points, Empoli are on twenty nine. So Fiorentina only have eleven points more than Empoli, mm. and they're. How many points off the Champions League? 90. Oh, yes, there. They're in a bad state. And Vieri Capretta says that this is exactly what was expected of them this year. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure they were expected to be quite this poor. They sh- There's no reason why they shouldn't be up around where Sampdoria are. They're so bad, though, and they look so devoid of optimism that you can see the best players just being... You know, you want to try and bring some other players in by saying this is what we've also got to build on. You know, we've got Chiesa, you know, Simeone, if he can sort of rediscover some form. Unfortunately, you think that those those players there are going to be ripped out of the club during the summer and they could go into free fall. Yeah, Chiesa will go, surely. And if not, I think he's quite foolish to stay there. And Lewis Muriel, who... Who knows if he's going to be as good next season because he, he never is, is he? He's, he's good for a bit and then he's not. But anyway, Serie B, Lecce, they're joined top with Brescia. They beat Brescia 2-1. Vito, they look like they're coming back up. Well, there's a good chance and it's a pretty incredible achievement considering that they had just been promoted from Serie C last season. Uh, Padova at the moment who were promoted from their group, their rock bottom, but let's share they've been able to cope with the higher standard in quality and, uh, you know, good on them. After uh, becoming another club that fell into debt, they've worked their way back up. And uh, also I think the coach Fabio Liverani is probably starting to come good with his coaching after some bad spells at Genoa and Leighton Orient. It's... It's definitely exciting. They're looking at the bottom as well. Sorry to Nicholas Carroll, if you're listening. Um, Foggia aren't in great shape in the bottom, but it is what it is. Anyway. Um, no, but uh, Livorno and Venezia could be in some trouble. And I think yeah. otherwise, I just mentioned, they're probably going to go back down. And Carpi, after being in Serie A in 2015-2016, they managed to beat Salernitana 5-2 away, but... They're probably looking as good as gone themselves. Yeah, Carpi have picked up a couple of wins in the last few weeks, but it does look like they've just left it that little bit too late. But Livorno, you're right. They're just they're kind of just slowly tumbling down and down and down and down. You could see them getting caught up because they are only three points ahead of Carpi, two ahead of Foggia. So problems there for sure. But 
Okay, guys, we've had some highs, we've had some lows, but we've, we've made it to the end. So thanks for sharing this beautiful experience with me, Vito Doria. Welcome, Connor. Uh, Kev, it's been fine. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, you can go get some sleep now. But please, just promise me you'll wake up again in the morning. I know. When you get to your age, even going to bed at night can be a little bit of a risk. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm off to Barcelona, so... Uh, How are you getting there? Uh, flying. Are you? Are you allowed to fly? Of course I'm Yeah, I've got to wear those socks. <laughs> <laughs> For the TV Some amount of pairs of them, because yeah. you are flying places every other day, mate. But that's quite nice. I'm happy yeah. for you. When are you going? Uh, actually, I'm not going until the early hours of tomorrow morning. Tomorrow being? As we're now as we're now on Tuesday, 3 a.m. on Wednesday. Oh, okay. That's all right. But yeah, enjoy that. Um, I might be going to Madrid for the final, um, irrespective of who's actually there. So if you guys get there, I might see you there. Yeah, you definitely will if we get there. All right. Nice one. Um, call it a date. Anyway. All right. Thank you to you two boys. Everybody else, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com now for everything about Serie A, basically. Yeah, just go there. We're at games every single week, usually six or seven. So just go and listen to us speak from inside the stadiums. And if you don't want to do that, you're an idiot. But we'll speak to you on the podcast next week. So goodbye. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao.
catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 